Good morning, brothers and sisters and visitors. Very special welcome to all of you. And I just want to wish that this Sabbath would be very special because we just before a new heat wave <clears throat> coming next week. So God is merciful to us, blessing us with a relatively nice weather today. And I also <clears throat> want to mention that we have a very special couple with us today. Um, Janarik and Inger Gustafsson. They are originally from Sweden. We became good friends back in the 90s. Try to imagine that since mid-90s we are friends. And uh, as far as I understand, they've been missionaries uh, to Africa for about 35 years with some intervals, of course, and at this point, I think Janarik is working on a big project for Solusi University in Zimbabwe, Africa. And I want to give him uh, a few minutes to, to explain what his work is there, to encourage each one of us, because this is something which, unfortunately, not really happening here in this country. But we are... Good old friends, although Janarik is younger than I am, but we are thinking of the good old years and days we spent at Andrews University in those days. So I'd like to invite Janarik, maybe Inger, if you want to come together to say a few words about your, your current work. Thank you. Yes, please. cannot say good morning, it will be good afternoon, but it's after 12, but uh, it's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me to share some greetings from Southern Africa. Maybe we have somebody in this international church that comes from Southern Africa. No, we don't. We have an international church, as you know, our church are represented in over 200 countries. My wife and I, we started mission service 1981, and then you can count how many years ago that is. Uh, we were young. We went to, at that time, to West Africa, to, at that time, the largest Adventist hospital where I was the president and my wife was the director of nursing. And then it has gone on, you said 35 years. It's not completely 35, it has been in and out, because we lived in the United States for some years as well. I worked for Andrews, I studied at Andrews, I worked for Andrews, and I have also worked as a professor here for some few years. But anyhow, we have been involved in mission for since 1981. But since the last general conference, the call came to serve at Seleucia University, which is in Zimbabwe. Um, you know, as teacher, you want to ask questions, and uh, maybe you, I will have some questions. But in Zimbabwe, we have around uh, 900,000 sisters and brothers. And did I hear the word amen? amen. Oh, thank you. Um, and they are our sisters and brothers in Christ. Last year, exactly almost one year ago, we ended an evangelistic campaign in a city, 
southern part of Harare, which is the capital city. And it was involved, involved in, we have 2,000, around 2,400 churches. Uh, and this campaign involved 900 of those. And together, uh, 30,000 people were baptized. Wow. Three, zero, zero, zero. Wow. Uh, it's something that doesn't happen in my part of the world. I was very much enriched and blessed. And uh, the church is growing tremendously in the Southern Africa Indian Ocean Division, which Zimbabwe is part of. We have almost four million Seventh-day Adventist sisters and brothers. So the church is growing by God's grace. So let me extend a greeting. I had prepared a PowerPoint presentation in pictures. Uh, that will not happen because of some technical difficulties here. So this is more uh, some few words I share from my brother's time here. Uh, I want to thank you because I know that you are generous in offerings to many different mission projects. I saw in the paper today that you are going somewhere to India, uh, maybe in the end of the year. And you know through the 13 Sabbath school offerings, there are many projects that are supported. And I believe that you were very generous in December in 2015. That was at a time when the offering went to Seleucia University, the 13th Sabbath School offering in December of 2015. We haven't seen the amount yet, but we hope that we will have around $100,000 from that, which will help us to extend our cafeteria. Just now we can have only 300 students eating there. We are over 2,000 on the campus, so we need much more space. So we thank you for your generous uh, sacrifice on that. Um, yeah, what should I say more? I could speak, uh, take his whole time, but um, he has given me limited time. So I know your sermon, how many minutes you have prepared for that. So I only want to say thank you for what you do for the global mission. Remember Seleucia. Seleucia is one of around 114 universities and colleges we have around the world. It's amazing. We are a church with around 20 million Seventh-day Adventists around the world. It's amazing that we can operate over 100 universities, almost 1.8 million students we have in our schools worldwide through these schools and through other secondary schools. I don't know how many secondary schools we have in Zimbabwe, but I guess it will have to be at least 150, and that's a lot. And uh, we are experienced difficulties, as you do here in the Western world, too. Uh, we know that in North America we have to close some schools, and you know that very well in this area. Uh, that does not happen in Africa, but um, we hope and pray that uh, the schools will uh, increase even in the United States. Yes. So thank you so much that we, the Seventh-day Adventist mission can be reached out around the world, and we are happy, Inge and I, to have the opportunity to serve the Lord as of now in Zimbabwe. So thank you very much for your time, and thank you for what you have done. Thank you. Amen. The sermon, the sermon will be shorter but deeper, or more condensed. <laughs> but before we open the Word of God, I'd like to invite my lovely wife, Martha, to come up and recite a poem for us about the story of Jabez. You know, this is a very unique story in the Old Testament. 
in the first book of Chronicles, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. So please listen to this poem. Good afternoon, I have to say, because it's past noon. You heard this poem, what I'm reciting now, but it's always new for me. And that's is going to preach today about the hand of God, that your hand would be with me. And our prayer is this afternoon on this Sabbath that the hand of God would be with Leslie's family on this occasion. And I was really surprised that when we had a conversation with her, she had such a faith that I have never experience in trial and it just touched our heart that she she was hoping and we were hoping I was hoping but God had a different answer to, to the prayers and we don't know why but he knows that a prayer of Jabez Recently, I heard about a man who we simply know as Jabez. But he prayed a powerful prayer, so let us see what it says. Oh, Lord, that you would bless me. He starts off by saying that you would bless me indeed. Jabez is earnestly praying. He knows that he needs God to make his future bright. He pleads to him his only hope, the one who can make it right. That you would enlarge my borders, he prays. For Jabez understands that in order to do more for his Lord, he needs influence in the lands. That your hand would be with me, he says, and requests God's mighty touch. He is aware God's supernatural power is mighty to do much. That you would protect me from the evil. Jabez knows about the evil one who will seek to kill and destroy the wonderful works God gets done. That I may not cause pain, Jabez ends his prayer, for he wants all he does for God to be done only in love and care. Yes, we can learn a lot from this prayer, simple, yet profound. Let us too seek God's greatest good and claim for him more ground. Let's beg for his presence with us and for deliverance from the enemy. Let's pray that we can be a blessing in our God's given territory. Let's pray the prayer of Jabez and please God in this way, 
and watch him to take our simplest sentences and answer us as we pray. Then let's be ready for daily miracles and to live an exciting story as we go about serving him and watch him get greater glory. Amen. Thank you, Martha, for this beautiful poem, and thank you for the children's story. That was something very special, and I want to uh, thank God for, uh, for this church, because we, we became members of this church a few years ago, and we feel at home. And I also hope that everyone who crosses uh, come across the doors, they would feel the same way, that this is a loving and caring community. At least that's our plan, that we would become a loving and caring community. And before I open the Word of God, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful again and again for your grace and your mercy, which we found in Jesus. And as we think about this old, old story of Jabez, And how deeply he was involved in prayer. He had a very special prayer life because we know that God responded to him immediately. And his request was granted. And Lord, we ask you to be present in these few moments we have left so that we could go deep in your word. And understand something about your hand. Lord, we also pray for the Brown family. And for the Avetison family and also for the Ayers family. We are carrying them, all of them this week, this coming week. And we ask you to bless each one of them according to their needs. And now please send your spirit. As you open your word, in the name of Jesus, amen. So I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to First Chronicles and chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. This is a very short, condensed story about a man. We don't know too much about him, only that he was part of the genealogy of Judah So he was part of the tribe of Judah. And he had something which was not that promising. His name meant he will cause pain. That's what Jabez means. Uh, He will cause pain. So he will be a person who will kind of disturb other people's life by causing pain. So there is nothing promising based on his name, but he decided to pray about that. So the question is, can bad things be reversed in life just by asking God, by praying? Well, his story is a proof that it could be done. 
So let's read this story. First uh, Chronicles chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. It says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez. Saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory or border, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Simple story, simple prayer, simple answer, but there is power behind this simple answer. Because that proves that even though we sometimes have no promising things in life, but they could be reversed by earnest prayer. So first he was asking for blessing, which means that he had a status through the covenant with God. Blessing is always part of the covenant of God. Secondly, he was asking for an enlargement of territory, which could include physical blessing, but also spiritual blessing or opportunities or, as we talked about last time, open doors. God is opening doors to further blessings. And now his third request. He said that your hand would be with me. What does it mean, the hand of God? Well, I consulted with a concordance. It took me quite a bit of time. Because I discovered that the term hand, and in most cases God's hand, occurs 1,600 times in the Bible. 1,600 times you will find the term hand, and in most cases, God's hand. And it could mean different things. For instance, power, position, authority, judgment, deliverance, blessing, and even prayer. For instance, in Psalm 141, verse 2, it says that the lifting up of my hands would be an evening sacrifice. So 1,600 times you will find the term, how can you preach in 20 minutes? Well, I picked five places. We probably have no time even for the five, but with your permission, I might go five minutes over. Okay, but the point is that we need to find something which is positive about the hand of God, 
because this man said that your hand would be not against me, but with me. So he was thinking of something very positive. So out of this 1,600, I picked five. Three from the Old Testament, two from the New Testament. And I'd like to invite you to come with me for this study because this is going to be a deep study. First of all, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And you know that there are two ten commandments at least written twice in the Bible. One is found in Exodus chapter 20. And the second one is Deuteronomy chapter 5. And if you go to the fourth commandment, which is about the Sabbath day, the day of rest, you will find something very interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verses 12 to 15. It says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you. So he is making a reference to Exodus chapter 20. Which is the first place where you find the Ten Commandments. And God said that you need to keep it holy because he himself kept it holy. He blessed the day as a remembrance of creation. But since Deuteronomy is, is a book that kind of summarizes all the experiences of Israel, in this uh, Ten Commandments, in the Fourth Commandment, there is something added to the other one which is found in, in Exodus chapter 20. So it says, observe the Sabbath day to, to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. And there is a reason given in the next part of this verse and the, and the following verse. It says that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So on a Sabbath day, everybody is free. Even the slaves. Isn't that amazing that God meant to include even the slaves? And he said it's not only for you, but for your slaves. Because this is a set day. It's a day of freedom. So they may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a, that's where the term comes, by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So whenever you keep this day holy, you experience something. In your mind, you go back to the story of creation. And also, you go back, you have to go back to the story of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. And God delivered them with a mighty hand. So God, God's hands is a hand of liberation. Is a hand of freedom. And whenever you think about the hand of God, think about this meaning first. That you may experience rest. If you say God's hand is with me, or are with me, then you would say, oh Lord, I enjoy the rest. Because I am having this rest that comes through your mighty hand. That was the first place. I need just a few more minutes uh, to turn to the second big group of writings in the Old Testament, beginning with Psalms. Psalm 139. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, we had three groups of writings. The Torah, the five books of Moses. Then uh, they had the prophets. And they also had the writings, beginning with Psalms. In our modern translations, this is in a different order. We have the Torah, we have the writings, and then at the end we have the prophets. So I'm following this order. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I'm just reading the first six verses. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This is the omnipresence presence, and all-knowing of God. He understands our thoughts. You know the devil doesn't understand our thoughts. And I'm so happy for that. (laughs) He can read our actions. He can make conclusions based on our words. But he cannot read our mind. And this is a very, very encouraging fact in the Bible, he would try to influence us, but he cannot read your mind or my mind. But what the psalmist is saying that God is the one who can read because he created our mind. 
So he can talk to our minds. And I wish that every Sabbath would spend with a dialogue with God. So he could, he could talk to your mind and my mind because that's the purpose of worship. And so he said that this is a knowledge which I cannot really comprehend. You understand my thought afar off. And I have no word on my lips. And you understood it. I'm still thinking of forming words. You have understood everything. And finally he says, you hedged me. You enclosed me. Behind and before and even, he says, upon me or above me. So, like we were in a bubble, God is is surrounding us. And that's another positive thing in the Bible that it's, it means full protection. If like living in a bubble. And we know there are some sick people who have to live in bubble. But uh, this is not that kind of uh, um, medical, advi- uh, medical uh, um, instrument or, or device that would protect our from any kind of infection. But it means that God is protecting. He is the one who is not only omnipresent, he is not only all-knowing, but he is all-inclusive, including you from all sides and protecting you. Let's move to the third one, to the prophets, the prophet Isaiah. As we know, Isaiah was the greatest prophet. He wrote the longest book of the Bible. He has so many chapters as we have books in the Bible. He wrote 66 chapters, and we have 66 books in the Bible. And if you go to the 62nd chapter, chapter 62, and I'm reading the first three verses. It's about salvation, restoration, and joy because of God's hand. Isaiah 62 and verses 1 through 3. It says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, or I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory. Where? In the hand of the Lord, in the royal diadem, in where? In the hand of the Lord. 
or God. So what does it mean? This is a beautiful prophecy about God who himself, he himself is giving an assurance that he will not keep quiet or silent. Because he will declare a new name. You shall be called by a new name. Which means that you will have a new character. Name means character in the Bible. He will give you a new name. And this new name would include something royal. You are becoming a part of the kingly family. Because what did the prophet say? You will be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord or a royal diadem, which are all symbols of royalty or, or royal status. You would be included. Uh, that's what the Lord is declaring. You will be included in the kingly family by becoming a crown or a diadem. But of course... We need to focus on something else. It says twice righteousness. And it says twice glory. By declaring and making you righteous. That's how you become part of a kingly family. So the focus is on righteousness and glory. And let's move to the New Testament for a moment. <clears throat> To the Gospel of John, <clears throat> which is my favorite gospel, as you know. I love this gospel because it was written by someone who loved Jesus the most and who was loved by Jesus the most. John. And in, in chapter 10 <clears throat> of John in the New Testament, we'll find something which is so encouraging there are no parables in this gospel. But there is a long chapter, which is chapter 10, that talks about Jesus being the good shepherd. So it is rather a long speech or a long story rather than a short condensed parable. But we find something very encouraging in verses 27 to 30. So let's turn to John chapter 10 and verses 27 to 30. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What kind of hands are those? The hands of the Son and the hands of the Father. 
And Jesus is saying the same thing about these two. He is saying no one would ever snatch them out of my hand, neither my father's hand, and he is greater than all. As I was with Martha visiting um, Glenn just a few days ago, he was still alive with no brain function. And um, I appreciate Ron was joining me, praying for him and anointing him. And as I was talking and praying, it came to my mind that this man is dying. But no one can snatch him out of Jesus' hands. So he is in a safe place, the best place possible. Think about God's hands and the hands of Jesus in the hands of the Father, because that's the best place to be. So he said, no one can do any harm. And if you turn the pages to John 17, he even says, Jesus is saying, that no one was lost except one. If you go, go to John 17, verse 12, it says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition or destruction. So no one is destroyed because Jesus protected them. All 11. None of them is lost. What about the lost? Can the lost be saved? Well, that was the purpose of Jesus. To find the lost and save it. Save him or her. And so I'd like to finish with a well-known story in Luke 15. Luke 15 is a beautiful part of the gospel because it gives you different pictures of the lost. And the third in the line of stories is the lost son. We call him the prodigal son. But I like this term, lost son. So what happened to this man? I don't want to spend time talking about what he did. I'd like to focus on what his father did. Because I think the key figure, the key person in the story is not the lost son. Is not his good brother. And not the servants of the house. But this father, who was waiting, hoping, expecting, and then finally welcoming 
his son. And when I read the New King James Bible, I was kind of disappointed because I was looking for the hand of the Father. And if I, I will read it for you, there's no description of the hand of the Father, but when I turned to another translation, I found out that he wrapped his arms around his, his lost son. But let's read the, the New King James first. Luke chapter 15 and verses 17 to 24. It says, But when he came to himself, meaning the lost son, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. There is the father's hand. Not in this translation. But if you look at the key verse, verse 20. It said, he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The NIV says his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him. And I will translate like that. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. I remember in one of our churches... An elderly lady came in one Sabbath. I've never seen her. And I wanted to uh, have a handshake. And she said, no, 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 no. I like hugging. Like a sister and brother, of course. And so I need to remember whenever I go back to that church and she is there, she's smiling. And so she is giving me a big hug. Two arms. 
because she believes that this is an expression of brotherly or sisterly love. But there is a, is a little detail in this book, in this story. It says that this father had compassion and he ran. You know, in those days, an elderly man, even a young man, would not run unless there is war. They, they would not run. Because it was something strange to a person. And it was something giving up his dignity. But try to imagine this father giving up his dignity and running and then throwing, uh, throwing his arms around his son and he was embracing him and kissing him. And he smelled bad, probably. Because he was working with the swine. He was probably dirty. He was sweaty. He had a bad smell. He probably didn't brush his teeth. But the father still loved his own son because he, he says, this is my son. This is my son, even though he's lost, he's still my son. You know, if you drop a coin, does it make a change to the worth of the coin if it is in the dust somewhere? I don't think so. If that was a penny, you might not pick it up. I normally do. But if it is a quarter, you might take the risk climb under the bed and then try to find a coin as it is written in, the, in another parable in the same chapter. So it means that this man, this old man, gave up his own dignity because of compassion. He was filled. NIV says he was filled with compassion and so he did not care about customs. Human traditions. He said, I have to express my love to my son who is lost, but he is found, he was dead and is alive now. So I, I don't want anything to hinder the expression of my love. So that's God's hand. Think about that. That, that God gave up his own dignity. And he told his own son, go. Go. I will support you. I will be beside you. I, I cannot prevent you from dying. But I'll be with you on the third day. And you will come back to life. 
This man in the parable said that my son is dead. But now he's alive. And I want to greet him. And express my love as much as I can. Giving up everything just to greet him. Do you know that God loves you so much? And even though sometimes we don't feel it. If you go and you visit someone in the hospital. You have a different feeling. You, you have a different um, impression. You, you don't really see how much God loves you. But I believe God is still there. And as Jesus said, no one can snatch them out. Because they are in my hands. That's the safest place. So do you want to become part of the kingly family? You know, Isaiah was making a beautiful prophecy that you can become a crown in the hand of God or a diadem. You can become a member of the kingly family. That's my prayer this morning, that our good Lord would lead all of us in an understanding of the power which is in God's hands. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You know, the Lord loves us so much, right? And I can't help but think about God's hand being nailed to a cross. Amen. How much he loves us. I got a little message. If those papers went out with, uh, with your names for the little things for the, you know, the side dishes for the uh, get-together tomorrow, if you have those at the, uh, at the end of the service, if you can uh, pass those to Evelyn, I guess she's kind of overseeing that. Let's uh, turn in our hymnal to our closing hymnal, Lord, I'm Coming Home. Lord, I'm Coming Home, and that's found in the hymnal, page 269. And as you find it, shall we stand together and sing. 269. I'm sorry, it's uh, 269, uh, what's the name of it again, Lord? Two ninety six. Okay. My bulletin says something different. <laughs> Sorry about it. Lord, okay, 296, Lord, I'm coming home. Thank you.
Let us bow our heads for a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, this is amazing how much love you have given to us. You adopted each one of us into the heavenly kingdom. And we are through the Lord Jesus Christ can be part of the kingly family. Lord, we just want to come home. If we have never done it before, this is a time to come home. If we have been home like the lost son, but we wandered away, and we lost everything. We can still come home. As this young man decided. I'm not worthy. To be called your son. Just make me. Like one of your servants. But the father didn't do that. He was asking for the best robe. And he himself gave his best. Because he, he gave up his dignity. He was running. He was embracing his lost son. Because this young man was still his son. So whatever we do or did... This is a time to come home. I just want to ask anyone who feels he or she has to come home, just lift up your right hand. Because we all need to come home. Before it's too late. But the mercy is still there. Because God the Father says, He is my son. Although he was dead, now he is is alive because he knows me. He trusts me. And I love him forever. Dear Lord, we, we want to thank you in the name of Jesus. How much you love us. And please help this congregation and all of us to show this love to others. Because we can, too, become loving fathers and husbands and friends to those who are coming. We ask you, Lord, to give us your very special blessing. This is the Sabbath, the day of rest. Please give us rest. And bless every moment of this day. For we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.